working and living in New York City, you every day you interact with someone from the homeless community if you're aware enough to. And so we would have these interactions where you'd hand somebody a pair of socks and they'd go, how did you know that's exactly what I needed? Or, wow, if you gave me the option of a meal or a clean pair of socks, I'd take the sock. You know, you hear these like personal anecdotes and you're like, it's almost unrelatable, right? Because unless you've been there, you like can't even imagine how this could be that impactful. Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. We are so excited to have a two-for-one on the Good Tidings Podcast this month with the co-founders of Bombas, Dave Heath and Randy Goldberg. So guys, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Larry. So first of all, where did the name Bombas come from? Great question. This is Randy, by the way, just so you guys know who's speaking in this two-for-one deal. The word Bombas is derived from the Latin word for bumblebee. Bees are kind of our, they've been an inspiration, our, maybe our spirit animal since the beginning. Bees live in a hive and they work together to make their world a better place. And they're small, but they have a large impact on the world. So we love the, the symbolism of that, the idea of it. So you'll notice throughout Bombas, there's honeycomb patterns and our arch support the B is our logo and our, our mantra is be better. And that's knit into the inside of every pair of our socks and on our underwear and t-shirts as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What a great mantra. And when you were starting up, did the buy one, give one model and Hey, I'm going to go into the sock business. Did those happen simultaneously? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, right? You know, we didn't sit down one day and say like, how can we, create a charitable apparel company and then went out and like did research on what problems there were in the world and then what apparel is good to sell. It kind of, I think like all great things happened quite organically or serendipitously. You know, I was scrolling on Facebook one day and this was back in 2011. I think when people more regularly scrolled on Facebook, I think everyone's scrolling Instagram these days, but I don't even know if Instagram was around back then. I'm really dating myself, but you know, scrolling on Facebook and I came across this post that said socks are the number one most requested clothing item at homeless shelters. And I sat there and I was like, wow, that's pretty sad. Here's an item of clothing that I've never spent more than a few seconds a day thinking about. And this item is being perceived as a luxury item for a big group of people living right in my backyard um, here in America. And Randy and I were working together at the time and I walked over to his desk and I remember sharing the quote with him and I kind of saw a similar reaction on his face. And, you know, we were interested in starting a business together. So we were always kind of talking about ideas and thinking about, you know, different problems to solve. And neither of us could really shake this one. We were like, that problem in the homeless community with socks seems like really sad and not sure that it ever seems like it'll truly be solved, right? Because we came to learn that socks are a wear-through item. So people aren't donating you socks. And for hygiene reasons, the shelters won't accept you socks. And then for homeless people, their main mode of transportation is walking everywhere. And so, you know, their feet are 
really important to them. And, you know, their shoes are kind of like their lifeline. And, you know, they're afraid of taking their shoes off at night because they're afraid someone's going to steal them. So you have all these like compounding effects. And this was around the same time that Tom's Shoes was in their fifth year of business and getting a ton of awareness for the buy one, give one model. Warby Parker had just launched and they were kind of the first example of somebody doing the Tom's thing, but now with eyewear. And so we kind of looked at each other and were like, oh, maybe we could do the same thing for socks. And that was really the the impetus for for the rest of the journey. Yeah. And the the sock culture in this country is is quite huge, actually. And so when you're going to start this up, I imagine you want to create a really high quality sock. Is that correct? Yeah. So 100% correct. You know, the idea for us is certainly we want to donate as many socks as we can. And how are we going to do that? And the mechanism is for every pair purchase, we donate a pair. So to donate a lot of socks, we need to sell a lot of socks. And how are we going to sell a lot of socks? We're going to make the best socks in the history of feet. And that's, that's the idea that pushes us to continue to innovate around our product, to think about the little things that make a huge difference in your daily comfort and to build that into this little thing, it seems small, like bees, right? It has a it's small, but it has a big impact on your daily comfort, on how you feel. And this country may have a big sock culture now. I'm not sure it felt that way seven or eight years ago, if I had to be honest. And even people who cared tremendously about what they wore, or even about the community, this was an afterthought of an issue for homeless shelters and an afterthought of a product in the marketplace and for most people. So there is an opportunity to show people that this is a, a big impact on comfort. And so you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to create a, a great quality sock. Are the two of you the ultimate sock testers at the end for the quality control? And what are some of the innovations you brought to the sock market as you were trying to start this new company? Well, certainly in the early days, we were chief sock testers. We didn't come from the apparel world. We didn't come from retail or manufacturing. Like This was all new to us. We'd never created a product in our lives, which I think at the beginning gave us a real competitive advantage because we were really looking at this through the lens of a customer, right? We were, we were the customers because we looked down at our own two feet and we were like, all right, what's wrong with the product that we wear, right? And it's like, oh, it constantly falls down. The cotton feels like cardboard after a few washes. You're always adjusting that annoying seam over the toes. They never feel like they quite fit right or retain their shape. And so it sent us on a journey of like, okay, if all we've ever known is the low cost, low quality bag of 12 socks that you buy at TJ Maxx or Walmart, if that's all we've ever known, like what else is out there? And so we started going to kind of specialty sporting goods stores and realizing that, not surprisingly, there were socks for marathon runners and hikers and basketball players and tennis players. And every single one of these socks had unique features that provided comfort or durability or, you know, breathability. And, you know, we started testing every product on the market and tried to hone in on the things that we felt made the most material improvement to just the overall feeling of comfort. And so some of the improvements were we use a seamless toe. So we got rid of that annoying toe seam. You know, we use really high quality, long staple cotton in, in kind of our core product, which is a much softer hand feel, washes much better. We use a honeycomb arch support, which feels like a hug around your foot. 
our calf socks have stay up technology so that they'll feel like the right amount of compression, but not too tight, but never will fall down them any time to wash away them. And since then we've released tons and tons of lines of different, you know, more niche products that have their own innovations and even into underwear and t-shirts have their own innovations. But we are always looking at products through the lens of comfort by means of innovation. So with the ultimate goal of delivering comfort, you know, we always talk about, you know, our tagline is like comfort for all. And that speaks both to the comfort that we deliver to our paying customers, as well as the comfort we're delivering to our homeless community. And so this is this kind of motivating driver for us and our solve for how do we get there is through product development and innovation. And obviously this must've taken some time to get to market. So were you ever nervous someone would beat you to the sock market with this socially conscious model you were developing? Listen, we, nobody grows up dreaming of being in the sock business. So this is not something a lot of people were thinking about. We weren't nervous about it because of how much of an afterthought this was, you know, it was an afterthought in the homeless community and for shelters, it was an afterthought in the consumer marketplace. We were focused on making the best product we could trying to figure out how to donate products in a really thoughtful way. And those, those two things really continue to drive us. And we focus more on us and what we're trying to accomplish and our vision than on somebody else beating us to something. Yeah. So you, you end up on Shark Tank and what's written is that it's the most successful company to blossom out of that show. How was that experience for you guys? When we started the company, we never had, I think, aspirations or it was never like a focus for us. I think we both watched the show. We were both fans of it. I think like any entrepreneur and when that show is around, you'd say like, oh, what would it be like to be on Shark Tank? But we weren't like, we have to be on Shark Tank in order to be successful. Interestingly enough, I get this email in like April of 2014, and it's someone from the casting department saying, hey, we saw your Indiegogo campaign, you know, love the mission, love the idea. You guys look really natural in front of the camera. Would you ever be interested in trying out for Shark Tank? And at first we thought it was like a joke. I was like, I don't know, like people don't reach out to ask you if you want to be on Shark Tank, but you know, we're like, what's well, too good of an opportunity to to not at least inquire? And, you know, we went down the path and I think every step of the way we were like, we're definitely not going to be on Shark Tank, even though like you move through the process because like, it's just a crazy thing to get your hopes up. I mean, they start with like 3,500 people, right, Randy? Or is it like, no, it's like 60,000, 30,000, 30,000. And they end up choosing a hundred. And so we were like realists and we're just like, all right, you know, this is a wild experience, but definitely not going to happen. We made it all the way through and you know, walked through the doors and you prepare for this moment. And, and we did our homework and, you know, we definitely worked really hard because we said, you know, we can't control the outcome, but we want to make sure that we control not looking like bumbling idiots in front of national television. So we went in and you know, got a deal and walked out and we were like, did that just happen? Like, couldn't believe it. And then the episode aired, you know, a few months later and it was amazing. Yeah, that's really great. And, and when you're starting a company out, was it tough to say I could scale something really big without having a brick and mortar kind of store? Or did you feel all along, oh, this is the way to go? It never even crossed our mind to start with a store or to even sell to a store. 
it's not like we grew up as like the most digital people, but we had worked in digital media and this was the world. And this is where we were starting to buy things. It just made sense for us to be, to at least start with the direct consumer idea. The story was important to us. Owning the relationship with our customers was important to us. And this was our way of like using elbow grease to build this business was to build these relationships over email to to use online campaigns, to build up a list, to like market things on social media. So for us, this was the natural path. And then we figured, you know, at some point, you know, and Dave always says this, he's like, it's just going to be amazing when we have a Bamba store. Yeah. And would you consider yourselves, the two of you, serial entrepreneurs? And if so, has Bombas satisfied your urge and you're, you're good with Bombas from here on out? I think at one point we probably thought we were serial entrepreneurs, right? Because like we had these small little side projects that, yeah, you know, generated revenue, but like, you know, it was a team of one, you know, it's like, and you know, you kind of like fake it till you make it. I think the interesting thing about kind of where the size and scale of, of Bombas is today and thinking about where we can take the brand and the impact that we can still continue to have on the community I think we're all in. I don't think we're being distracted by other ideas or opportunities. There's just there's not enough. Honestly, I don't think I have enough free time in the day to even let my head get there. I spend every moment thinking about this business and what we can, how we can just make it better. Yeah. I don't think I would ever self-identify as a serial entrepreneur or as an entrepreneur. It seems like a label for other people to use. I don't just don't think we spend our time thinking that way. We spend our time thinking like, how can we let the world know about this product that we believe in or this thing that we're building and get the vision of what we're doing closer to like the marketplace or what's the next thing we want to make or video we want to put out or how are we building this company around our employees? Like, I'm just not sure that's the mentality. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. And last, last question on the business side of things, as co-founders, do you work together on most everything or do you divide up, divide and conquer the tasks, so to speak? No, those days I think are over to work together on everything. There's just too much to do. And I think that was actually one of the certainly like learning curves, you know, is you have to kind of at some point pick a lane and, and have ownership and focus on that. I mean, that being said, the executive team, we meet every week and we talk about strategy and share ideas and everybody kind of reports on kind of what they're working on. And and we tackle big company-wide initiatives together. And then the founders, we still meet once a month and just philosophically check in. How are we doing? What, you know, is this the right direction? How are we feeling about this thing? So it's, it's collaborative, but it's certainly a divide and conquer mentality. And I think because all four of the co-founders, frankly, I think we all have a overlap in, I think, the skill set of, you know, passion, empathy, and innovation. And, you know, so we're all kind of stewards of kind of the the company. And and honestly, it extends down to the executive team, too, and it extends down to the VPs and the directors and the manager. Like, that's the culture we've created. And I think that's really what has enabled us to scale because every single person feels like a functional owner. They feel like you know they understand the North Star of the business. They feel like they have the ability and autonomy to like create ideas and and innovate and do their part to kind of continue to drive the, you know, 
the company forward. And how many employees do you have now total? 160 is where we're at now. You know, it, it's interesting on, on the idea. I get the question a lot around, if you're hiring, what are you looking for? And I think this changes over the life cycle of a business, right? Like in the beginning, you know, we have broad shoulders and we can all handle a lot of things and versatility counts, right? Like people who can wear a lot of different hats and tackle different problems, good problem solvers. And then as you grow, you sort of need to split off into lanes and have people who can really own and build departments. And then maybe you come back together in a different way as an executive team and it gets collaborative in a new way. And just being sort of cognizant of the cycle or the place that you're in as a business is super important in, in knowing when people need to kind of like put their head down in a, in a specific lane. It's just an interesting thing. I think a lot of entrepreneurs ask this question and, and kind of want to think about it. And also people who want to work at startups or one-time startups. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now to switch gears really into the essence of this podcast, which is the giving side of the business. So for 27 years here at Good Tidings, we've been hosting the most deserving families during the holidays, really just to give them out their much needed toys that they were looking for. And a few years ago, Stephanie on our team reached out to you guys for some socks. We thought that would be a good addition to hand out as kids and or parents were shopping for toys. And and a few days later, a few cases of your socks showed up. And it's really interesting that obviously even a kid, there's something about getting a pair of socks, but even a kid who just picked up a brand new remote control car now is walking out with a couple pair of Bombas socks is just as exciting. So first of all, you know, we want to thank you. We know a lot of your model goes to the homeless. Many of our families are homeless, but many are just, you know, well below the federal poverty line. So it's really a nice thing to give at the holidays that we're able to do. And now you've done it every year for us. So I guess first, thank you. And what is it about getting a pair of socks? Why is that such, I understand the need, but something, even if if you were walking down the street, you handed me a new pair of socks, I'd say, wow, it's such a unique gift. And I don't know if it's because it's the feel or you never think about socks, but what is it about getting a pair of socks, you think? First of all, thank you for doing what you do. I mean, we started this business, like we said, to support people like you who are really making an impact in the communities where we all work and live. So thank you. I think in terms of our mission is to support the homeless community, but also people who are at risk and in need. So it, it extends beyond that. And really anybody who could use a pair of socks or you could use, you know, a pair of socks can also start a conversation and can let somebody know that somebody is caring about their basic needs and could put them on a path to thinking about things differently. So we've seen many times that it's, it's more than just a pair of socks. That's part of it. I think there's also the feeling of putting on a fresh pair of socks is a unique, small joy. And it was maligned for a lot of long time as like a the gift that you don't want is the holidays. And I think it's become something somewhat desirable because it really impacts your daily comfort even more than a new pair of underwear. And we donate those as well. But there is something about that idea of a fresh pair of socks. Dave, don't you don't you think like this is like a big part of it? Totally. I mean, there's like, I think famous quotes out there. I can't remember by who, but it's like people always joke. They're like, I want to be wealthy enough to put on a fresh, clean pair of socks every single day, right? Or like a new pair of socks every day. There's that like feeling. And I don't know, it's just these like shared human experiences that we all have, but maybe we don't all talk about, but like that little joy 
of putting on, you know, a brand new pair of socks is, is something that is, I think, you know, uniquely weird and special that we all can identify with. Yeah. It's odd, right? It's like a small new start, right? In some ways, yeah. it's like, it's the cleanest, like clothing can feel It's like a new pair of socks because it, it's tight, like a bomba sack. It's like a hug around your foot, the cotton and the materials and the yarns that we use are, are really high quality. So they feel like smooth and soft. And then all of these things add up to just a really great feeling. We want everybody to have that feeling. And that's why we sell the socks that we do. And that's why the donation socks are specifically engineered to with you know, people who are experiencing homelessness in mind. So I don't know, it all works towards that feeling that everybody deserves. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you've done the research, but I, I, I guess for a very, very low income family, the line item for socks has got to fall very low on the priority list. So, you know, I just think what you're doing is great. And now, like you mentioned, you're on to other products, but how many socks do you think you donate a year and how many are in your history? Do you have a guesstimate on that? The yearly number changes because we grow every year. I think this year, back of the envelope estimate is probably around 30 million just this year alone. Yeah, 2020 was 15 million. Yeah. And so lifetime, I think, is like close to 50. Yeah. And you have a counter on your website, which turns about every couple seconds. So, yeah. We sell and donate a sock, I think, you know, in ever like less than a second, I think. Pretty wild. <laughs> Pretty wild to think. I, I imagine walking out of uh, Shark Tank. If someone said, hey, they're going to give away one a second and you're going to have 160 employees, you might have called BS on somebody. Probably. Uh, we would I have think called we were, BS on ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think walking out of Shark Tank, we had blacked out. So I'm not sure we remember that moment. <laughs> and do you think of your customers as donors now because they're helping really fulfill this nonprofit's almost side business you have going? Yeah, we call them supporters. And, you know, that's the phrase because, you know, our belief is that through their support of choosing to buy Bombas and share Bombas with their friends and family and talk about Bombas, they're the ones that enable us to do what we do. I mean, without them, you know, this goes back to this, you know, idea of, of bees, right? It's, it is the collective effort of the hive, right? It's, it's our team members internally. It's our giving partners, you know, our 3,500 giving partners who like yourselves are out there doing the hard work of serving these communities directly. It's our customers who support us. It's, you know, our friends in the media who decide to give us press and share our story. It's like this true sense of it takes a village. And that's why like we love talking about Bombas as being a hive and kind of helping build our community together. And when you have these meetings and you all gather in the office, as hopefully we're going to do more often coming forward, but how much of the discussion, business discussion is around the giving model? I know they go hand in hand because the more you sell, the more you give. But how much do you think about, boy, you know, this would really impact on the giving side of things rather than on the sales side of things. I mean, listen, this is integrated in everything we do and almost everything we talk about, even virtually when we get together for our company, all hands every week, that we have a story from the giving team every single week. And we volunteer as a team in person when we work in person and that's integral and we hand out socks. And I think it's never lost on our team. 
And it's our job, Dave and I and the rest of the team, to remind everyone that this has to be at the center of what we do. It's the reason why the company exists. It's the reason we're allowed to make the product that we're allowed to make is because we've committed to this idea. People have responded to it. You know, the world cares about this kinds of thing, which is a really optimistic and great idea. And we have license to, like, it's a responsibility to make it at the heart of what we do and communicate to our team to make sure that we're communicating to our supporters and being like public about closing the feedback loop on where things are donated and what is going on with our giving team. So it's a big idea to make sure that it's front and center in all of our internal and external communications. And I think I read somewhere that new employees, when they're hired, actually go out and hand out product and have some sort of mandatory volunteering aspect to their new hire process. I don't think we like to use the word mandatory. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think Bombus is a is an amazing group. I think of self selected individuals that have decided to come and dedicate their talents and skills to you know what we're building as a collective team. But you know, you aren't wrong that kind of the general vibe of that, which is you know, when Randy and I first started this. The first thing we did was like, all right, is this a real problem? Let's go out and buy some socks and carry them around in our bags. And working and living in New York City, you every day you interact with someone from the homeless community if you're aware enough to. And so we would have these interactions where you'd hand somebody a pair of socks and they'd go, how did you know that's exactly what I needed? Or, wow, if you gave me the option of a meal or clean pair of socks. I take the sock, you know, you hear these like personal anecdotes and you're like, it's almost unrelatable, right? Because unless you've been there, you like can't even imagine how this could be that impactful. And those moments and stories stay with you. And it reminds you why you get up every day and why we're coming to work. And it's a purpose that is greater than just profits and building a big company. And we wanted our team to experience that as well. We wanted them to have those kind of individual, personalized, unique moments that are special and unique to them. So when a new employee starts, they're handed 10 pairs of socks and they're encouraged, not mandated, to hand out those socks you know, as they work and live around the city and, and have those unique experiences. And not surprisingly, every single person comes back and they're like, wow, that was amazing. I've never done that before. I've never even spoken. You know, I've always been nervous to talk to a homeless person or I didn't want to bother them. Or And then they have all these like really magical experiences and they take that with them and that that they'll never unlearn or unforget. And so then for them, when they get up every day in the morning, they're like, God, this is what I'm fighting for. Right? It's, it's a purpose that is bigger than all of us. And I think they find a lot of motivation in that. And does the, does the give one aspect influence new products that may come along as part of the Bombas brand? Yeah, 100%. So we learned socks are the most requested clothing item in shelters, but underwear is number two. You know, it's a close second. And it's another item that... Most places won't accept donations of even gently used underwear for hygiene reasons. So this is creates a need and it makes so much sense to sell and donate this product. So underwear is number two, t-shirts are number three. And these are the three products that we donate and the three products that we sell right now. And there's it's no accident that these are the, the items I think that have the most impact and like comfort in your everyday life. 
but they're also most in need. So there's a, there's a huge relationship there between what we donate and what we sell and why we choose to develop the products that we develop for the consumer marketplace. And now that you've successfully got to this point, we as a charity, one of our other parts of our mission, we partner with all the local professional sports teams and we create these athletic facilities for underserved kids. And I think professional sports teams look at themselves as a big part of the community and have a community responsibility. Do you see that on the pure business side? Obviously your model goes that direction, but does every business, should they have a social responsibility to someone or someplace in their community? Yeah. I mean, in my mind, yes. Short answer, right? Like what is a company? It's a collection of people right? And these people all generally live in a place or in several places together and they get up and they go to the office, but it's really a collection of people. And the fact that you would spend all this time gathering together and not have any connection to the place where you work and the place where you live. And it seems like an antiquated idea that it could just be about one thing and that's profit or whatever it is. The the motivator is bigger. People are demanding more from the companies they work for, and the idea that companies can be a, a force for good in the world is a great one. And we're hoping that there's a generation of companies that's growing up even behind us that's going to teach us how we can do more and what it looks like to have a bigger impact. And hopefully we had an influence on company on the next great company doing this as well. So I don't know. I, I think why not have that mandate out there and that feeling and why not demand that, right? We're all sort of voting with our dollars these days. So you know, I think people want to put their money into something that they know is useful. The product has a reason to exist. Companies doing things the right way. And there's like a caring element there. Yeah. Are the socks given only to the U.S. or you have part of these 3,500 giving partners or some throughout the world? Yeah. Currently, they're almost 100% U.S., right? We We like this model where you know, we talk to our customers and say, your purchase influences the communities in which we all work and live, right? And and I think that was something that was relatively unique about our buy one, give one model is, you know, we were localizing it. We were able to talk about giving partners that were a few miles away from customers, right? And 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 closing the loop for people and being like, oh, I, right, that's in two towns over. I know that place. Or, wow, it's amazing. I didn't know that somebody in my own community was doing this type of work. And maybe they feel inspired to then go and volunteer and get involved. And we like this idea that, again, <laughs> go back to this hive, but like we're working together to you know solve problems in the communities where we all work and live. And as we, you know, there were certainly moments of, of natural disaster, you know, or the typhoon in the Philippines, the earthquake in Haiti, you know, we sent disaster relief type of stuff. But for the most part, our, our almost 100% of our giving is, is centralized around local. And that's why we have 3,500 partners, right? We, we want to be able to tell our customers that their purchases are impacting their community, like their actual communities. And, you know, we have a vision of the future where eventually we'll connect those customers directly with those giving partners and hopefully try to make this big world a little smaller and tighten up our communities and and really help get our customers as close to the mission as our employees are that first day that they're starting and handing out a pair of socks. Yeah. And do you think with the, the now success of your mission, 
Has that, and you see the joy you're giving people, has that unleashed even more philanthropic effort in your personal lives? I think for almost every single person that bombs, the answer is yes. I mean, it's hard to, it's like you can't put the genie back in the bottle once like you realize the joy and personal fulfillment that you get when you're giving, right? And so I know myself and Randy, we sit on a number of boards, you know, we both donate a tremendous amount of dollars of time, our team collectively, especially when we were back in in the physical world, we'd have on average of 10 to 15 in-person giving events every single month scheduled that our team members could go out and volunteer. And it was everything from throwing birthday parties for underprivileged kids to doing a midnight van of delivering food and blankets and, and socks and essential items to the street homeless of New York. And so, yeah, you can't, you kind of like, you can't undo that one. It just like compounds on itself the more and more you get exposed to it. And lastly, do you have something on your philanthropy bucket list for Bombas? Like, I mean, this number is exponentially growing on the sock number, and I assume that will continue. But is there some something you really want to see happen that's on your bucket list through that you're going to accomplish through Bombas? Yeah, I think Randy can chime in, but I, I think we would all agree that if we could provide brand new, specifically designed, size-specific, essential clothing items to every person who's experiencing homelessness or at risk of experiencing homelessness, if that is one less burden that they never have to think about, right? And they can walk into any shelter, or maybe there's a world where we have Bombas community centers and they can feel like they're shopping a store the way that paying customers shop, right? And they can pick out, oh, I want this and I want that. And I need three of those and four of these. And this, I think, ladders up to this idea around like building a brand for the homeless community, right? This is a community that doesn't have brands built for them, right? They're given our leftovers, our secondhand items, you know, whatever is whatever we don't want, they get, right? And that perpetuates this idea that they're second-class citizens, that they're left behind, right? Just like the items that, you know, we donate. And it's amazing to, you know, in, in, in kind of a, you can kind of see the the beginning of this. You know, when, when I walk around New York and I hand socks to somebody in New York, I'd say it more often than not, they go, oh, Bombas, do you work for Bombas? I love Bombas. Like, you guys donate a pair for it. Like they can recite the whole brand story. And that to me is like, we're not spending money to put Facebook messages in front of, you know, we're not putting TV ads in front of these people. Like they're recognizing the brand. We're building brand value and brand equity amongst this community. And they're understanding the mission that we have developed to serve them. And like, wow, what a moment, right? Like how great is that, that they, can get a sense of dignity and self-worth that like somebody out there cares about them enough to do this. As a charity, you know, I, I don't like to keep my secrets. You know, I want to share it. I want more people to start charities. I want more so people. Do, so I want, do we. Yeah. I want more people to have businesses like you. I want, you know, and so I think the influence you, I mean, I'm sure your company does many great things, but the influence you could put on others is exponentially more than what your company can do by itself. So. Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we spend a lot of time these days thinking about legacy. And now that we are of a size and scale, 
what is our job as a corporate citizen to influence those above us, around us, and below us to hopefully, again, you know, move the needle in the positive direction. Yeah. I do want to thank you again. You know, the 2000 socks we get to hand out every year during the holidays to children here in Northern California is a, is a big part of what we do. And you make that part much easier for us. So thank you for what you do. Thank you so much for, you know, joining me today on the Good Tidings podcast. And we wish you nothing but the best of luck in the future. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate what you do. I'm glad we can support you in some way. have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.